Welcome to episode 49 of Wonder Space. It's great to have you on board. My name is Steve Cole, and over the past year, I have been asking the same six questions to amazing people from around the world. The questions orbit around wonder and stories of hopefulness, and the setting for each journey is a shared window on the space station, 250 miles above Earth, from where we see everything from a different perspective. Before we introduce our guest, our friends at asknature.org are going to help us to re-wonder. When food is scarce, many animals lose weight, but marine iguanas go further. They lose length, up to 20% of it. Since soft tissues only account for about 10% of their overall body length, it appears some of that shrinking is in the bones themselves. Then, when the food supply increases again, the iguanas build right back up to their full size. How do they manage such a large-scale change to such a fundamental aspect of their makeup? That remains a mystery. This Wonder Space episode coincides with the start of the United Nations Climate Change Conference in Glasgow. For this special edition of Wonder Space, we are going to quickly descend from the elevated views on the space station and join a different kind of crew of wildlife experts, adventurers and filmmakers who over the past month have sailed from Cornwall to the COP26 summit in Glasgow. Dave Erasmus is one of the crew on board and is going to ask the six wonder space questions. But before diving into the questions, Dave briefly tells us about my changing planet and introduces the crew on board. My Changing Planet is a total adventure into the unknown. A sailing trip from Padstow to Glasgow via Britain's wildest spaces, ending up at COP26, the environmental conference in Glasgow at the beginning of November. On board, we've got two vets, two amateur adventurers, two filmmakers, none of which had any sailing experience less than a year ago. But what brings us together is some common desire to want to adventure, to belong, to find connection, find some kind of transformational experience that we can film and share with our audience and hopefully bring some organic value direct into the corridors of power at COP26. At the helm, we have Andy Linzel, prolific amateur adventurer, master strategist and passage planner. We have Paul Ramos, a dreamer who came up with this idea and started pulling the troops together. Jackson Kingsley, the director who has the whole film story pieced together in his mind. Sean McCormack, our British nature specialist and chef supreme. And Jack Fisher, not only the man who can get you any shot you want from the sky, but also with the eagerest of eyes to spot any boy in the waters at about 500 meters ahead. My name's Dave Erasmus, crew member, dishwasher and general connector, trying to make this whole thing flow. We hope you enjoy listening to this recording that we made on the choppy waters between Lismore Island and the Isle of Mull in the Scottish Hebrides. All right, so the first question, if we could do a fly past on any part of the world that is significant to you, which place, city or country would it be and why? Well, we could talk about why St. Kilda was the place we're aiming for now, right? Yeah. Why it's significant and 
Yeah, let's do it. I mean, yeah, so St. Kilda is kind of this group of islands um, past the Outer Hebrides, out towards, as they call it, the edge of the world. And the reason why it's significant is uh, on many levels. Culturally, their people have been there for thousands of years. Uh, up until around the 1930s, when all of a sudden, one day, everybody, everybody left. Um, and they all got in boats, and they all came back to the mainlands and, and never returned. So there's, uh, there's evidence of you know, prehistoric and modern uh, peoples there that still remain. It's also a place of, uh, I guess, ecological significance as well. Um, you know, being at the, uh, outside the Outer Hebrides, um, we were hoping that it was going to be, I guess, an area that we don't see plastic pollution, that we didn't hear um, uh, noise pollution, um, and that there were still healthy colonies of birds and marine mammals. And um, But, yeah, that was the reason why we wanted to go. We wanted to see for ourselves um, just how wild it still is. Mm. Yeah, and also it's been so isolated from the rest of the British Isles for so long. It's got its own endemic wildlife, like subspecies of wildlife that have become genetically distinct from their ancestors because they've been cut off from the rest of the mm. land for so long. Um, so really, really unique kind of place. Mm. In a way, I guess it kind of represents what we would like to find, a world that isn't so influenced by what we're doing to, to the world mm. we're living in. Really, mm. maybe we should just point out that the uh, alarm and all the background noise. Um, we're sailing through the fog at the moment, and the little beeping noise is the AIS, which uh, means that we're going to have an impact at some point in the near future with another <laughs> vessel or land or something else. Approaching solid object. Number two, give us a glimpse into your life story so far, I guess, with how it really connects with what brings you here. I'm kind of um, coming full circle back around to what I, what I did as a child, how I was as a child. Um, I always had my head down to the ground, looking under rocks, looking under logs, and, and kind of also by myself in that world. And it was, there was something just very magical. Even the closer you get to the earth, um, when, you know, when you look in moss or in grass, that world, that microscopic world, um, to a kid, um, there was something really magical about that that I kind of um, lost touch with, I suppose, as I entered my teenage years and tried to um, fit into, you know, as a growing adult to the, 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 the human world. And a good 15, maybe even 20 years has passed that um, I've kind of, I've, I've been trying to reconnect with that, but I've become too academic. Um, by you know studying and getting degrees, but but now I find by just having an adventure like this, I'm finally. Um, it's a, for me. It's about finding that magic again, and and I've realized that the only way to do that is to uh, is to get close again to the ground. Essentially, I think what we do as children reflects who we really are, and I think it's really important that we listen to that. I'd add to what Paula said, like we have a lot of similarities. I grew up looking under stones and logs and looking into ponds and seeing that like natural world as something that was like wondrous and awesome and you know, in the true sense of the world, like absolutely amazed by the complexity of life and nature. Um, I think myself and Paul being vets, kind of, I would speak for both of us, I think when I say like got a little bit jaded of the the clinical life picture of being in a vet surgery and just like putting band-aids on problems and firefighting problems that are totally preventable and 
Paul put it in a very good way when we first spoke about this project, saying, you know, we shouldn't be looking at like the the animal, the sick animal right in front of us. We should be looking at the holistic view of that animal's environment. And it's the exact same with our planet health. It's like looking at the little things, actually we miss the bigger picture. And I think one of the reasons I wanted to do this project is to say to government leaders, look at the bigger picture, look at ocean health, look at like joined up thinking on a planet basis, on a global basis, um, rather than kind of trying to firefight and fix the little, little problems we're facing. Sweet. Question three. Where on earth is your place of reset or recharge? Where do you go to reconnect, I guess? Sometimes when uh, when things get me get to me too much, I um I, I take a walk uh, anywhere anywhere in nature. And for for me right now, that's in the woods. Um, and just walking and moving in nature. Sometimes I also talk to myself out loud, and I, I speak back to myself out loud. Um, but but being being in nature at ground level is um, is where I find most peace and where I. Um, where I look for answers when when um, when I need to, to um, pause and really think about it. I, the other month I was out my, with my twelve year old, and I know I know that one day I'm going to be gone. And I and I told him I, t I took him to a tree, and I said I put my hand in the tree and I said um, I just break my heart because I know no one day I'm going to be gone and not his life. But I I said um, if you're ever having problems in life. Um, you can go to any tree or like, like the sea and I'll be there um, so that he has some, some, somebody to talk to in nature so that he can go into nature and connect and um, maybe he can do that in the sense that he feels that I'm there listening um, that's, that's how I feel mm. that's cool yeah I, I start, when you have kids, you, you cry a lot about kids. It's <laughs> good. It's good. Yeah, for me, it's just alone in nature. I often, and like like you're demonstrating, but for me, often when I get alone in nature, some emotions hit me that I was like, I could cope without engaging with. I didn't even know they were there. You know, it's only once I get truly alone and I don't have to worry about anybody else that all of a sudden I just get hit with this like catharsis for like 10 minutes often and just mm -hmm. out of nowhere I wasn't even feeling uh, down or anything but it's time to think isn't it mm -hmm. when you like actively take that time away from the normal kind of stress the normal routine mm -hmm. the normal commitments I'd take 10 minutes or two days out of that time stuff comes to, comes to light bubbles up cool really good so number four, what wonder of the natural world excites you the most? None of you seem to be interested in birds. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm there with my binoculars going, look guys, it's a gannet, it's a guillemot, it's a this, it's a that. And I, I'm always at pains to say to people, I'm not like a bird watcher or a twitcher, but I just find birds absolutely fascinating because they're so different from us in many ways. And I think their ability to fly and to fly wherever they want and to like far-flung places is just incredible. Like one of the species we were going to see on this trip, Manx Shearwater, little marine bird comes in to land at night, goes into tunnels. It's very rarely on land just to breed. 
and then it takes off once it's had its chicks and leaves them in the nest and flies from Britain to the Antarctic in South America in the space of a couple of weeks. And the chicks follow it later and go on instinct, on looking at the sky, night skies, on magnetic fields, who knows how they do it, but they manage to just make their own way to South America and back. And I just think the freedom of birds is just something that absolutely inspires me. Mm. You see lots of spectacle, natural spectacles. You see, you know, in wintertime, starlings murmurating. We've talked about them as an emblem of this trip. Mm. Um, how do they fly around in this crazy form, like all looking out for each other and not colliding with each other and moving as one big unit? I just think there's so much we don't understand about them, but also so much that's like complex about their lives and different. And when people are like, oh, I'm not really interested in birds, just the big, you know, enigmatic wildlife or charismatic wildlife. Mm. Um, there's a lot more to discover. So that's like wonder for me is looking at birds because they're all around us. They're visible. Mm. What is your story of hopefulness, not your own, about a person or business or not profit that are doing amazing things for the world? I, I like this group called Health and Harmony. They're in West Borneo. And uh, what they've done is they, I think they took like a thousand, they did a thousand hours of just listening to communities to ask, you know, what do you need to make your life better? Um, and um, because they knew the problems ecologically in terms of palm oil and deforestation, um, but at a local level, the real level, how can, how can you curb that? Um, but by working with these communities, they, they found out what they most want are, you know, livelihoods. They want to they don't want to cut down the rainforest, but they need, they need a, a way to feed their families. And they also want, they also want good health care. Um, their expected length of life is shorter. They experience all sorts of pre preventable diseases, even, you know, deaths and deaths in, uh, in birth. Um, maternal deaths occur as well. Um, and so since they've started, malaria has gone from um, a very, very common thing to die from to non-existent. Um, They've um, they they set up an entire clinic, um, and they've trained Indonesian doctors to take care of the communities, and also set up livelihood programs so that the forests are growing back. People have turned in their chainsaws, and are finding another way to uh, to live that's more sustainable, and um, that, that, that they that they have a sense of more self empowerment as well, and, and say, so um, yeah, that's a that's a program that I. Um, admire. It's mm. cool. I'd probably mention um, a group called Heal Rewilding. Um, so rewilding is like this movement away from traditional labor-intensive conservation as such to actually give back parts of land to nature to heal itself. Um, and what they stand for is obviously that. It's like giving nature a chance to recover and to help our planet and sequester carbon and all of those usual things that we talk about in rewilding but they're very very inclusive and at their core is being accessible to everyone rewilding can be seen as quite a you know game for people with money and land to kind of dabble in mm. but um they are a charity they're raising funds to do it as a collective they are very much trying to engage young people people from diverse ethnicities and backgrounds and kind of demographic groups so it just seems like a, a kind of a breath of fresh air on the rewilding scene um, and they're currently fun, fundraising for uh, buying land and um, creating their flagship first project. Mm -hmm. And Andy's one was Regenerate. 
in Roehampton working with young people in the estates, giving them opportunities to thrive really, connecting them to opportunities and 30 knots, 30 knots of wind and that's why he can't talk about it because he's dealing with the helm of 30 knots of wind as we rattle towards Mull. Final question if you're up for it guys is so as we prepare to re-enter what insight, wisdom or question would you like to share with the audience, with us? That goes back to where this all began for me and um, as, as Sean alluded to before you know, our work is, is very much reactive um, and we're, we're sick of it. We want, we want preventative medicine for the earth. We want to we put our energies into preventing problems rather than um, dealing with them and managing and mitigating them. Um, so, you know, the, the problems that we're facing now, a lot of them, are because we are not acknowledging um, our connectedness with, with, uh, with nature, with this world that we live in. Um, and as a result, we, um, we have to, you know, it's very expensive, both in terms of life and, and pain and, and economically. Um, so what, I want, what I'd like to do is share, just share how truly connected we are to the world. And that's, that's the start of it. Just, just to acknowledge that and to plant that seed. That's what I want. I think like our destination here is COP26. It's a political, you know, global climate change conference. Our global leaders are coming together to talk. And for me, you know, there's been periods in my life where I've been disengaged from politics and feeling like it was a bit futile or feeling a bit pessimistic about actually anyone doing any good rather than just talking the talk. But I think for everyone at this point in time, you know, if we're not getting the results, if we're not getting the actual action rather than just words from our global leaders, our politicians, local and global level, we all need to collectively actually engage with politics and, and hold our leaders to task and say, like, the time for words and promises and pledges is over. We're on this precipice where, you know, ecosystems are collapsing all around us. One in three species of plant and animal are ready to go extinct in the next 50 years if we don't tackle this now. And I think it's for everyone to actually say, yeah, I might not be that engaged, I might not be that knowledgeable, but actually to vote properly and to put our leaders under pressure to do the right thing. Sweet. I don't know what my, my answer is really, but it's something to do with listening. I think we all know listening is important, but I think there's a new type or idea around listening that's evolving from this project. And it's really about listening. In our case right now, it's listening to the oceans, but I guess the bigger picture is listening to the earth and paying attention to what's there and it's so easy to be completely oblivious to it when it's right in front of you. Um, but I think through this project, it's definitely opening our eyes and opening our ears to a whole new world that has been right next to us, but we've just not paid any attention to. Um, I think maybe we're quite privileged to be able to go out here and do this and uh, experience all of this, but I think um, it's something that everyone can do in some capacity and they can start just putting a little more energy into listening to what's already there. Mm. I think further on to that, I think with what we're doing with these underwater recordings, I think it's interesting that there's, there's often multiple layers, the surface level. For instance, recordings we're getting at the moment, there's one thing we're all hearing, but there's a, another level, you know, once you dive deeper into it, and I think that can be applied into other, other parts of your life, you know.
Footage from this trip can be seen on the video of this episode, which you will find on the Wonder Space episode page online. More information about My Changing Planet, together with links to all their socials, can be found at mychangingplanet.org. Films of the trip can also be found on the YouTube channel of Dave Erasmus. Next week's Wonder Space will be our 50th episode and will also be the second week of COP26 in Glasgow. To mark these milestones, we will be asking our six questions to John Elkington, who is a prolific author and a world authority in sustainable development. To engage with the previous 48 Wonder Space episodes, go to ourwonder.space. I want to thank Dave, Andy, Jack, Paul, Jackson and Sean for joining us on this Wonder Space. And I hope you can join us next week for more wonders and stories of hopefulness.